Today's horror story is written by Peace Sim. It would be an exaggeration to say I hate all other people. I like a few of them. Margaret, for example, I like Margaret. But it's a fair statement that I value being alone. That's why I built my life around a job that doesn't require me to leave my crummy basement-level apartment. The bug problem inside of it is preferable to the human problem outside of it. This is one of those abominable days when I'm required to venture into civilization. I've been dreading it for weeks. My virtual co-worker, Natalie, has been insistent about my attendance at a fundraiser for her kid. Something about raising money for some research foundation. Blowing off her relentless emails and messages eventually got too tiring. I ran a mental cost-benefit analysis and determined that a brief appearance would amass me enough goodwill to get out of it next time. As I exit my apartment building, I pass my fellow basement dweller's seasonal decorations. The wreath on the door of my immediate neighbor, a repairman named Brian, includes a ghost and a witch hat. A mat by the door to the adjacent apartment, in which a young couple and their small child reside, features black cats and a full moon. I scowl at the displays of pumpkins and mock graveyards, skeletons, spider webs. It's all plastic, fake, straight-from-Walmart bullshit, and it's only going to get worse. As soon as November 1st rolls around, they'll replace this junk with equally obnoxious holiday decorations. I yearn for January. As the highway takes me past the county line, I'm stopped by construction. A man in an orange vest halts me and waves for opposite traffic to go through the single open lane. Behind him, workers labor at the outskirts of a large pit. It's strikingly deep. From where I'm sitting, I can't even see the bottom of it. The delay makes me late. When I reach the farm, its dirt lot is already packed with cars. I wedge my rusty sedan into a narrow space and climb outside. A distant breeze sways crops and trees. The only other sounds I hear are those of birds and insects. I reach the field. Balloons are tied to a sign that reads, Walk Against Diabetes. I shake my head. What does walking have to do with it? Can they just accept my money without having to bring me all the way out here for walking? I look around. The field ahead is littered with jack-o'-lanterns, cornhole boards, bales of hay, some sort of pumpkin ring toss. Oh, and scarecrows. Lots of scarecrows. Whoever decorated this place went a little overboard with them. But where are the people? A sign over a small tent reads, Registration. On a table inside, a figure obscured by shadows presides over several piles of paper. I approach. Hey there, can you help me? I freeze when I discern the straw hat and cloth face underneath it. The scarecrow wears blue overalls and a plaid shirt. The face consists of a red nose, blue eyes, and a simple smile drawn with a single black dotted line. I don't smile back. Where is everybody? I want to at least sign in to the event. Hello? I call. My voice fades into the empty ambience. 
I try again, this time shouting as loudly as I can, but no one responds. I circle through the tents at the start of the one-mile course, but there's not a soul in sight. I can't make any sense of it. Did everyone start walking and then just keep going to some other location? Or was the event canceled at the last moment, with me alone not finding out about it? But if that were true, why was the parking lot so full? On the way back to my car, I passed the registration tent again. To my surprise, the scarecrow was gone. What the hell? I mumble, perplexed and more than a bit spooked. My pace increases to a jog. I'm eager to leave this place. There's something about it that just feels so off, so wrong. I pull out of my car and don't look back as I return to town. I approach the construction site. This time, no one is around in direct traffic. There are no workers at all, in fact. I could go, but I worry about a car approaching from the opposite side. I roll down my window. Hey, is anyone there? I ask. Something catches my eye. Several bales of hay decorate the edge of the pit. And they weren't there before. For a moment, a brown, jagged stick emerges from the hay, reaching out like an arm before receding out of view. I resolve not to wait there any longer. I want to leave this cursed hole in the earth behind, just like the farm and its deserted fundraiser. I jolt the accelerator and zoom into the open lane. As I drive, I check the rearview mirror. And what I see sends my heart racing. In the back seat, directly behind me is the thin smile of the scarecrow from the registration tent. Fucking hell! I scream. My car skids at an angle as I slam on the brakes. Sirens blare in front of me. Just my luck. The first car at the other end belongs to a cop. The officer approaches. I stay still, resisting the temptation to look behind me. In my state of panic, I accidentally roll down one of my rear windows instead of my own. I rush to correct my mistake as the officer nears. The officer leans down and asks me questions. Officer, in the back seat, there's... There's... I realize that telling the truth isn't going to help me, so I come up with a slightly more plausible story. I'm driving alone, but I looked in the mirror and I saw someone in the back seat. I panicked. The officer peers behind me. There's no one there, she insists. Not even something that might look like a person? I croak. Like a doll or a scarecrow? She shakes her head, hands me a ticket, and informs me that I'll need to go to court to address it. I thought about telling her everything else I'd seen, the desolate fundraiser, the stick reaching out of the hay, but I decide to cut my losses. I politely nod and tell her that I'll be more careful. I examine my car upon parking it in my building's garage. Indeed, the back seat is unoccupied. Can I imagine seeing the scarecrow there? Am I losing my mind? In my apartment, I take a long shower and start to unwind. I had decided to keep the inexplicable things I had seen to myself, at least for the time being. I have Margaret to prepare for. I shave my face and put on my nicest set of clothes. I count out five $50 bills and place them in an envelope by the door. Margaret's five minutes late. On another occasion, I'd argue over subtracting $20 from what I owed her. 21 to be more precise, but... Today, I'm just happy to see her face. Margaret smiles and addresses me as her husband. She displays a cheap replica of the engagement ring I gave to Anne. 
and she wears an olive green dress like the one Anne had on when I proposed to her. Margaret doesn't mention the children I haven't seen in years. They aren't part of the script. The hour moves efficiently. We chat over a drink and then slowly make our way to the bedroom. We screw around. When it's over, I wrap my arms around her bare back and hold her tightly. She asks me if something's on my mind. She says I seem a little wound up. I start to tell her about the strange things that morning. When I bring up the mysterious pit by the highway, she mentions she heard something about it. She says that a friend of hers works at that site. Ever since his drilling operation tapped into some unknown substance deep underground, workers were disappearing without a trace. Do they know what the substance is? I asked. She bursts out laughing, tells me that she really had me going. I'm annoyed, but Anne's sense of humor was on the list of traits I had given her to study. I can't hold it against her. Margaret dresses and heads to the door. See you next week, I tell her as she slips the envelope into her purse. On Monday, I exchange chat messages with Natalie. She tells me not to worry that the participants had gathered around a hill at the end of the mile-long course for a group photo, but she appreciates the effort I made coming out there. It doesn't make sense to me. It wasn't all that late. I should have seen somebody. But I let it go. Work resumes. Groceries arrive at my front door. My apartment building is quiet. The tedium of daily routine settles my nerves. Weird events from the weekend fade from my mind. Finally, the day on my ticket arrives. To my chagrin, I find that those obsessed with tacky Halloween props include whoever runs the general district court. Fake cobweb lines the metal detector. The officers manning it direct me to the appropriate room. I climb the central staircase. Posing throughout it are more of those damn scarecrows. I hate their smiling faces, their straw hats, and the big red buttons that match their small red noses. I approach the courtroom. After a short wait, an officer calls the number on my ticket. Yes, that's me, officer, I say. I open the two sets of doors and step into the courtroom. I approach the podium, paying little attention to the handful of people scattered throughout the public benches. My eyes raise to the judge. I gasp, but I finally get a look at him. I recognize the beaming face of the figure before me. The same one that same goddamn scarecrow that climbed in my car the other day, except now it's donned a black robe and sits before a gavel. This... are you... I stuttered dumbfounded. I look to the prosecutor's table where two scarecrows sit in suits. I look behind me and realize the rest of the audience is no different. I'm the only human in the entire fucking room. I storm out. I spot the officer who let me in and call out for him. When he doesn't respond, I tap his left shoulder. I jump back as his left arm detaches. Tightly wound straw spills out of his empty sleeve and hits the floor with a soft thud. I back up. I need to leave. The figure moves. It kneels, picks up the detached arm, and sticks it back in place. Then it turns towards me, continuing to display the same sick expression of perpetual bliss. A stumble sends me toppling down the first set of stairs. I bang my head. My body aches as I climb to my feet and run down to the lobby, where I find the metal detector manned by two scarecrows dressed in police uniforms. Their heads tilt slightly in my direction, 
as I sprint to the exit. There is almost no traffic as I drive back to my apartment. Halloween is today, yet I spot no kids or parents in the early evening light. All I see are scarecrows. Everywhere, all shapes and sizes. They appear still, silent, content. In the apartment garage, an elderly man hobbles over to me. He's the first human I've seen since leaving the courthouse. He points to a red bruise on my temple and tells me I'm not one of them. He tells me not to trust anyone, not even him. I leave him behind as I scramble down the basement hallway. The door to the building elevator opens, revealing three scarecrows. A man, a woman, and a small child standing between them. I pass Brian's apartment. I look through the open door. Inside, two figures are engaged in a scuffle. A scarecrow has Brian pressed against the wall. His panic eyes turn towards me as he attempts futilely to pull the scarecrow's hand off his neck. With his other hand, the scarecrow pries open Brian's mouth. The thin line that forms the scarecrow's smile expands until its mouth is a gaping hole that covers most of its face. Brian makes a muffled scream as straw shoots out of the scarecrow's mouth into his own. He gags and chokes. The straw pours down Brian's throat. It fills his body until it bursts through his skin. As a layer of straw spreads over Brian, transforming his appearance, the scarecrow turns towards me. I shut the door to my room and bolt it behind me. In the crack beneath the door, shadows of legs approach. The door jostles, and the handle shakes. Then the shadows depart. I don't know what to do. After what I saw in the court building, I'm not eager to contact the authorities. A familiar voice calls to me from outside. I check my phone to confirm that it's the correct date and time. I look through the peephole. To my relief, it's Margaret, with no straw hat to be found on her. I usher her in. She asked me what's wrong when I frantically locked the door. I'm just so happy to see you, Margaret, I reply. You're the only thing that seems real to me. She looks at me strangely. I'm not supposed to call her by her real name. She asked for some wine. and loved wine, after all. That trait was in the materials I'd provided to Margaret. I give her a glass. She lifts it. I put my hand around hers as I pour. I think about recent events, about how everything around me is falling apart. Yet, amidst all of that, here's Margaret showing up at her scheduled time to pretend to be the wife who'd stormed out of our marriage years ago, taken away my kids, who told me I had no heart, no soul, who'd said I was as dull and ugly and lifeless as a- The glass shatters. Margaret shrieks. I'd been gripping it too hard and several fragments had torn into Margaret's hand. I apologize profusely. When I bring her a set of bandages, she opens her hand to reveal a long gash that extends across her palm. But no blood emerges from the wound. Just the ends of thin, golden pieces of straw. Thank you for listening. You can handle another horror story, right? <laughs>